So a story started to emerge yesterday. It actually happened uh, on Monday by the sounds of it. But what we know at this point is explosions rattled the Baltic Sea and then some unusual leaks were discovered on two natural gas pipelines that run underwater from Russia to Germany. Um, and now all kinds of finger pointing has resulted. European leaders, experts pointing to sabotage. Uh, and it's all around this energy standoff with Russia and the war in Ukraine and all that. You know all that. But what's going on now is three leaks have developed on the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines. They're filled with natural gas, but they're not delivering any natural gas to Europe right now as part of the whole Ukraine situation. The first explosion was recorded early Monday by Swedish seismologists. A second that night was equivalent to a magnitude 2.3 earthquake, also registered in uh, stations in Norway and in Finland. And all of these scientists saying yeah, there, there were no earthquakes. These were explosions, and shortly after that, we've got leaks within the pipeline. So the question now is, what's going on? Who might have done this? Why? Uh, let's get into that. We're going to have a chat now with Dennis McConaughey, who is a visiting fellow of public policy and energy study schools at the Ivy Business School at the University of Western Ontario, and an adjunct fellow at the Niskanen Centre, a DC-based think tank focused on carbon and energy policy, done a lot of work on pipelines. Dennis, thanks for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. Thank you. So it's a really interesting story uh, right now. And the discussion, as I say, is not so much on what happened. It seems that everyone is pretty confident it's a situation of, of sabotage. But the question now is, who might have done it? And everyone has a theory. What are you hearing? Well, I think the most obvious question to ask is, who benefits from uh, the, this uh, act of sabotage? Um, and, you know, that that is a question that has led many uh to accuse Russia, right? Though, though these are people and entities that are fundamentally opposed to Russia at the moment, most notably the Ukrainians, uh, and more notably, though the the EU has been very cautious so far not to make that accusation. But in a sense, nobody wins from this explosion, right? Even even though the pipeline wasn't neither of these two pipelines were currently delivering gas. Uh, Nord Stream 1 uh, at least held out the possibility that if there was ever some kind of a breakthrough with respect to the Ukrainian-Russia war, where at the very least uh, there'd be some kind of stand down, uh, there's some possibility that these pipelines could have been, you know, restored to their capabilities. And that would have been enormously beneficial to help Central Europe and most notably Germany uh, get through this winter. Now, I think one point's worth making. Um, Secretary of State Blinken said that, you know, the, the, the fact that these pipes can't be used, they, well, they'll have to be fixed. It's indeterminate how long that will take to happen. At the moment, you know, German energy planners, I think, have pretty much uh, had the view that they had no access to gas from these pipelines over this the coming winter. But they're in a razor-thin situation trying to simply keep um, the amount of gas that they need to get through the winter, yeah. uh, they've you know bought as much, filled up storage as much as they could, tried to make other supply arrangements. So much is going to depend on the severity of the winter. So uh, the, the short-run consequence is this makes conditions in uh, Central Europe and notably Germany more precarious, uh, even though one would argue these pipes weren't being used anyway. The prospect that they could they come could back be. on would have been uh, very positive. So all this points to the basic question, who benefits from this? 
and I think everyone can make their most logical inferences as to what party that most logically points you towards. Right, exactly. But then there's the argument on the other side. Well, it's, it's, it's Russia's pipeline. They make money by selling the gas, so they've now eliminated that possi- possibility for themselves as well. As you know, And it was faint. Like you say, it was a faint, but, but it was a possibility. So, I mean, it, you can sort of point fingers. I mean, there's, and I'm sure you've seen it, the clips circulating on social media of Joe Biden back before the invasion saying if tanks yeah. rolled into Ukraine, NATO would be blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline and saying, yeah, don't worry, we're going to do it. So, I mean, there's no end of speculation. Well, again, uh, I think one point people need to recognize, there's still substantial amounts of Russian gas that still moves through Ukraine and into Central Europe through land routes. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, Russian trade of natural gas uh, hasn't been suspended. Nord Stream uh, 2 was uh, not completed. That was a action taken in retaliation uh, to the invasion. Nord Stream 1 needed to have maintenance repairs, which the Russians have contested. Uh, the West has dragged their heels on uh, enabling, uh, and that reached such extremes where that pipe was suspended operations anyway. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, I won't try to parse what Biden said. I mean, he, I think one can make a case that uh, Outright sabotage is not what he meant, uh, but he did meant that that option would be taken off the table. And I think his remarks are mostly in respect of Nord Stream 2, and, and the Europeans themselves took that action. Nevertheless, uh, the Russians are still making, uh, still receiving revenue from the gas that they sell into Central Europe through their other pipeline systems that uh, were the traditional ones that weren't moving through the Baltic Sea. So again, I think this... You know, still intensifies the precarious nature of how Central Europe is going to get through this winter. And it is a statement of saying you're very vulnerable. And, and who, how, the consequences of this are undeniable. It's going to make them more vulnerable. And I think everybody can accept that, even as they go through this process as to who did it, who was capable of doing it and who had the best motive for doing it. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an interesting situation. What about the European Union yesterday saying that, you know, they're they're taking this very seriously, they consider it a threat on infrastructure, and any further, you know, interference with European infrastructure would then drag them into this conflict at a higher level. So, I mean, the tensions are really high, and this has sort of pushed it to another level. Well, again, I think um, uh one of the realities the EU has is that for, uh, you know, all of their solidarity, they have not suspended gas deliveries into Central Europe. Yeah. Because some of their members can't, can't. Uh, can't cope if, if those were suspended. Uh, so there's some limits to how much their retaliation can be at this point. I think that uh, the uh, other events that are playing out in the Ukraine, the other escalations that Putin may resort to, I think will more likely give rise to some new action on the part of NATO, not so much the EU, uh, because at the moment the EU can, uh, you know, this thing is already constrained by the fact these pipes weren't working anyway. They will try to find out who they will assess uh, culpability for. That will only add to the uh, difficulty of ever getting to a resolution with the Russians here, because this goes to the basic point, I think, of 
how much more can you be interdependent on Russian gas supply? Right, exactly. And of course, it's a big question for this country. How much does Canada finally get its act together and fully commit itself to LNG production. But now you're on to something, Dennis. Isn't it too late, especially for this conflict, this winter? I mean, we're so far behind. There's nothing we can do in the immediate term anyway. Well, you know, we are already... One thing people should be conscious of is, you know, Alberta gas production uh, and the utilization of the existing gas pipelines that take Alberta gas, Western Canadian gas, into the U.S., down to the Gulf Coast, where it is being converted into LNG... Mm-hmm. You know, we are actually making some contribution in that way. Uh, but that's really utilizing LNG production on the Gulf Coast, not on our Canadian West Coast. Right. It is still a fundamental question, but over time, a long-term uh, consequence of this for uh, Central Europe, and particularly Germany, is going to have to be a rearrangement of where they get LNG supplies. Of course, yeah. And, of course, Canada and the United States, but just talking about Canada, the more LNG that we produce that most likely will actually end up in Asia, but it nevertheless adds to the world's supply balance of LNG and, in effect, makes the LNG that is actually acquirable in Central Europe uh, you know, more affordable, you know, that's something this country itself should be committed to. And yet, of course, we see that... Uh, the current federal government is still enormously yeah. uh, equivocal about uh, that kind of a commitment because it runs counter to their other their other goals. Yeah, uh, and it's a lesson that appears climate related goals. Yeah, really, really, uh, really tough to learn. Uh, Dennis, unfortunately, I'm out of time. I've got to let you go. But uh, thanks so much for the insight. I really appreciate you joining us today. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.